Hey, it's Ian Altman. My guest this week is my good friend and co-author of Same Side Selling, Jack Quarles. Jack and I just finished updating the second edition of Same Side Selling. And as we were chatting, I realized there's some new information that would be valuable to you, our audience, where Jack has some insights. We're going to talk specifically about the biggest challenges or misconceptions people face when it comes to dealing with procurement. Certain questions that you can ask to position the conversation around value versus price and new innovative ways to think about working with purchasing and procurement to generate a better outcome for both you and the customer. You're going to learn a ton. I always enjoy talking with my friend, Jack Quarles. Jack Quarles, welcome to the show. Ian, good to talk to you. Well, so, Jack, can you share something surprising about you that our audience may not know? Because obviously I know you pretty well, so it may not surprise me, but hopefully it will surprise them. (laughs) So I I was ready for this, and Ian, you know me pretty well, but I think I might still surprise you here because I don't know if you know this. I was acapella when acapella wasn't cool. (laughs) I was acapella when it wasn't cool. So, so so you're allowed to say, Jack, it's still not cool. You can say that if you want to, Ian. I, know See, that's what I, I actually like acapella. Like so like, <laughs> I actually like acapella. So for me, it's like it is cool. But some well, of our listeners may have tuned out by now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so because now you've got, you've got Glee, uh, the, the TV show. You've got these uh, – uh, Pentatonix does its holiday albums that are great, and it's kind of become part of the culture people are more aware of. But back in the early 90s, it was uh, – I, I went to Yale. I sang with the Yale Whiff and Poops, which is an old-time a cappella group, and, uh, and it was a ton of fun, and it was a big deal on our campus. And then I'd go – like I visit friends from other schools, and I'd be like, you're doing what? That sounds kind of dorky. <laughs> hey, Jack, Yale, isn't that kind of like an Ivy League school? <laughs> oh yeah, uh, that's, I, I, uh, I, I wanted to drop that. I'm, I'm hoping that uh, that you're impressed. You know, that's 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 why that's why in the dust jacket of our books, I don't like to have our academic background because he, Jack has degrees from Yale and Duke, and so as proud of as I am of the University of California San Diego, um, it's just not quite the same. But Jack, your your acapella prowess and your and your academic achievements aside. I wanted you to talk to our audience about purchasing and procurement and the whole sales mindset around purchasing and procurement. So what's the biggest mistake that you see salespeople make or misconception they have when it comes to dealing with purchasing or procurement? This is an old one too, Ian. And it's the idea that procurement people are just focused on price and that's all they care about. And I know that a lot of salespeople have sort of progressed beyond that, Um, but I've also seen that that stereotype, that perception runs very deep, and it tends to be the default whenever anybody has to interact with a big company procurement department. Yeah, and what are some of the the ways that someone in sales can kind of figure out whether the person they're dealing with – is solely focused on price or whether they're just trying to get you to focus on price? Uh, that's a great question. And um, and it does vary. And I know there's some of your listeners out there who have probably had some pretty negative experiences with my, what might be kind of a stereotypical 
you know, almost a 1960s style uh, procurement department that really does just want to beat up vendors on price. And, and that does happen. So I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but it, there's sort of a bell curve of uh, procurement maturity. And I think the interesting thing is uh, that bell curve, in my opinion, is a lot wider, if you will, than it is with other disciplines within the organization, marketing, sales, uh, operations even. I think with procurement, there are some teams that are really doing it old school <laughs> and, and your folks, you know, salespeople will see that from time to time. And then there are people that are, are pretty progressive, kind of on the front end of cutting edge uh, procurement. And we can talk about that in a minute. But for most that are sort of in the middle of that bell curve, yes, uh, purchase price is, of course, important, but total cost of ownership is much more important. So if you're able to have the conversation of, well, you know, tell me sort of where this aligns with your organization, uh, you know, and able to say, well, here's the implementation cost. Here's how long our clients stay with us. So many factors that are beyond the purchase price. Um, you'll probably be able to do that with most procurement departments. Got it. And and you, you indicated, look, here's, you know, we have these stereotypes of what someone was like back in the 50s and 60s. What are some of the what are some of the things that you've seen change? What are some of the trends that you're spotting now when it comes to purchasing and procurement and their interaction with people on the selling side? A couple of things that I want to be sure to talk about today. And, and one is a word which I had actually never heard until uh, early this year in a procurement context. And, uh, Wait, that and word not... isn't yes, is it? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That, that was too easy, and I wasn't setting you up for that. <laughs> no, but um, but what um, – and again, now we're kind of at, on the right side of that bell curve, more of the more progressive procurement groups as some, some uh, companies that are brand names and some that are a lot smaller. But what, um, what boards and what CFOs are asking for procurement is not just to find savings – and not even just to find uh, quality or innovation, but to seek disruption. So In other words, well, so it's now, you know, we think about procurement in the classic sense as almost a supply closet, right? So somebody in marketing needs a new software system. They say, okay, you know, procurement, here's what we need. You, you go buy it or you go find a good price on this. Or in operations, they need some, some parts or some materials. And so same sort of thing, okay? You guys, here's the shopping list. Um, you guys go out and you get what's on the list at a good price. Now that's kind of the old the old way. Now the newer way is uh, in, internal customers come to procurement and they have a problem, they have a need, and they say, "Hey, how do we do this? How how do we solve this?" And so procurement's function is not simply to go out and buy what's on the list, but their problem is to go to the marketplace with questions, with, with challenges, with problems, and then ask the question, "What are the solutions?" Because the forward thinking companies know that those solutions are changing. And if they don't uh, take advantage of the expertise in the marketplace from the salespeople, Ian, that you're talking with all the time, uh, that they might be left behind. They might miss a key innovation. They might realize that, well, you know, we thought we were going to bring this in-house, but it really should be outsourced. We thought we were going to handle this with a manual process, but it really should be automated. What are the things that are happening in these industries that candidly, the salespeople know a whole lot more about than the internal supposed experts at the company. Does that make sense? So, so the, what what they're getting to, to tell procurement is, hey, it's your job not just to find us the best price, but you need to know what's going on in the industry, and we don't want to miss something that's happening 
because you're too overly focused on price. So it's it, it would be analogous to if if you look back a number of years ago, someone someone goes to procurement and says, "Well, look, we we, we want to get these videos for for in house use," and the old school procurement person says. Oh, I, I negotiated the best deal with this video rental place, and they'll deliver the tapes to us on a regular basis. And someone else says, "Yeah, we talked to net. We talked to Netflix, and they're going to stream it to us this afternoon." And all of a sudden, it becomes the difference of one person is buying what someone asked for, which is, "Can I get these videos or tapes or CDs?" And someone else says. So you want to be able to play the videos for people. Is that what we're getting at? Yeah. Okay. What if we had it streamed so no one had to pick it up, no one had to return anything? It was just always available. That, that's a great – I love that analogy. And, and that sort of story is happening all over the place. And, and I've heard a bunch of stories that have you know, happened just that way where we stock up on something that you know six months, six, seven months from now nobody's using. So I, I think the conversation that that – gives permission to between the uh, salesperson and the procurement team is for the salesperson to ask the procurement team, hey, you know, what's going on in your company? I, I know you asked about this system. What are the problems you're really trying to solve? Um, you know, how does this relate to your overall strategy and, and relate to what else you're doing in-house? Because, yeah, I heard you, you're interested in this product, but maybe we've got another conversation we can have and maybe we can point you in the right direction somewhere else. I, I think that uh, your listeners are going to find that those questions are generally received much better from procurement teams than they were even four or five years ago. Yeah, and in fact, I'm guessing you could even ask the person in procurement, hey, I know you asked us about this platform, this this technology, but if we had a way to solve this that was more innovative, that might disrupt the way you've done things in the past to get better results, is that something you'd be open to? And here's the thing, Ian. Not only uh, can they ask that question, and I'm not saying this will happen every time, but what that gives the procurement team is an opportunity to go back and elevate their status within the organization. So they can not only help make the internal sale, but they can sort of put themselves in a more of a strategic position. And I think that's that's the great opportunity that salespeople have to help procurement teams sort of advance their own status and their own careers by offering them a lot more than just 10% less on price. Yeah, and, and I think that, I mean, obviously, you and I wrote, wrote the same side selling with the idea of taking procurement and sales, putting them on the same side of the table. And I was poking fun a little bit at procurement, but I think the top performers take a collaborative rather than adversarial, adversarial approach. And there's sometimes that people say to me, well, but but I don't think that procurement would respond to that. What I'm hearing from you is, yeah, actually, good procurement people will respond to that. And I tell this story often. So when I was in-house director of procurement at a Fortune 50 financial services company, um, I had this experience at least three or four times. And, and, I, and I know that many other procurement leaders in-house have had this, where – you get assigned to a project, and maybe you're working with uh, a leader in marketing or the supply chain or, or IT, and you're, tr you're working on this project, and, and you start to learn about it, and, and your job as the procurement lead is to go out and you know, get to know the marketplace and interact with the vendors. Uh, but what happens is during that process, that procurement person gets to know some of the vendors pretty well, and he learns if, – if, if he or she is good at their craft, they're learning a lot from the salespeople, and, um, and they're developing a point of view – and they're starting to see where, where the most value is, which, by the way, might or might not be where the lowest price is. 
then what happens is that procurement person is sort of selling that value in-house because a lot of times that means uh, structural change. That means doing things a different way. That means overcoming inertia for the company to take advantage of the innovation that the vendors are bringing. So the image I like to give sometimes is uh, it's, if I'm a procurement person, I'm sitting in a chair and I'm facing outwards and talking to the, the vendors in the marketplace. And then after I talk to them, I'm sort of swiveling around. And just as the salespeople need to sort of sell the procurement team and get them on board, it's often the case that that procurement person is then selling the inside team on this solution. So there's often a great affinity that develops between the procurement people and the salespeople, again, if they're both willing to let that happen. And so that's why you don't want to go in with the assumption that uh, you're fighting against each other or they just care about price because it, it may be quite the opposite. Yeah, and, and let me ask you this, Jack. So sometimes the, a vendor might have something that's an innovative solution. It might require a bunch of changes like you described f- f- within that organization to get the results that they ultimately would love to have. And sometimes I'll talk to organizations and they say, well, but we don't like to bring that stuff up because it could be an objection. And my my question for you is, wouldn't it be a good idea? Wouldn't it build trust if you said to the person in procurement, look, in order to get these results, here are the changes you'd have to make. Who do we need to talk to to make sure people are going to be comfortable making those changes? Because if you don't make those, then you're not going to get the results from this solution. How is that going to position the vendor with the purchasing people. So we've we talked about this a lot, Ian, but when you think about those two those two positions, right? One, no, 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 I don't want to raise this. It could be an objection and it might, you know, kill the sale. Or alternatively, hang on a second, they may not be using this the right way or they may have some challenges implementing this. I better make sure they know about this. So the first one is a salesperson and the second one is a trusted advisor. And and the question is which one do you want to be? If you hate wondering if your client or prospect ever opened your email, then check out today's sponsor, MailTag.io, a Chrome browser extension for Gmail that allows you to track and schedule emails. You get real-time alerts as soon as they open your email or click a link. Try it for free for 14 days without giving your credit card. I asked them for a special offer for you, and boy, did they deliver. Just use the promo code Ian, and you can save 50% off your MailTag subscription for life. For more info, check out mailtag.io, and the link will also be in the show notes. Uh, And as we know, there's a lot of sales training around becoming a trusted advisor, and everybody sort of is aiming for that role rather than just being seen as somebody that's trying to sell something. Sure. And there's no question that there is a risk in that. If if you bring that up, it might. And and candidly, it may end up in in the organization saying, well, gosh, we thought this was the right solution, but maybe it's not because, as you pointed out, (laughs) you know, we're not quite ready. Um, it's just kind of a long-term play then to say, well, what kind of relationship do I want to build with not just this customer but my other prospects, and um, and where do I think I'm going to be able to deliver the most value and make the most impact um, long-term? And I, and I guess my question, Jack, is if you're bold enough as someone on the sales side to bring up, look, these are the risks, and if as an organization you can't make these changes, then you're probably not going to get the results – my my hunch is that may help your long-term potential with that client because now that purchasing person knows you're as committed to the results, in fact, more committed to the results than you are to the sale. And think of what – yes, so I, I completely agree with that. And, of course, what happens to the level of trust 
that, that you know in that relationship it, it just skyrockets and and I think that is a real thing I mean we, we talk about this we talk about getting beyond that sort of antagonistic um, adversarial uh, relationship but the truth is every buyer seller relationship starts off with some hesitation with that legacy of mistrust and and uh, whatever happened in the prior relationships and that sort of thing so if, if you raise that question when you're selling then boy it, it takes that off the table and that that buyer never has to worry again about whether you're going to be honest or looking out for the buyer's interests or whether you're just trying to sort of push something uh, square peg into a round hole. Got it. Got it. And then what are what are some of the behaviors that you see in the salespeople who the person people value the most? What what kind of what kind of skills, what kind of what kind of personalities are the ones that are your go-to people where something comes up and they're the people you say, hey, do you have a solution for this? Not, hey, get out of my office. <laughs> That's a great question. Um, I think personality-wise, I've seen it across the board. And I'm imagining from your training, you've seen people be extremely successful salespeople with different types of personalities. It's definitely not just the um, sort of the glad hander, the high-energy optimist, although you know those are good traits to have. But I think that's sort of short-term. I think what lasts a little bit longer and what seems like substance is people that are very good listeners – that are that are asking questions that are then kind of asking the next questions. You know, well, what does that imply? What does that mean? And then are really taking the time to consider the buyer's uh, perspective. And and I sort of like to think about it from two different perspectives. One, um, so you know, you're selling to somebody, and and maybe they're the person that's making the decision all by themselves. Maybe they're going back to a team, and that's kind of you know how it's going to happen. But um, that person has a career and that person has self-interest and that person has sort of a next step that they care about and a reputation they care about. So, so how can you serve that person and doing their job even better and helping them become, you know, become what they want to be in, in their role and in their company? And then as part of that, and I think part of the answer of that, then think sort of top down. Well, what does, what does the board care about? What does the CEO or the CFO care about? Sometimes that's clear because you can sort of look at public records and, and see statements that, hey, these are our top two priorities this year. Um, and sometimes it takes a little bit of digging and um, a little bit of asking questions about, well, how will this be viewed? How will this be measured? That sort of thing. So, again, I think um, the, the, you might call it the consultative sale, right? It goes by a number of different, thing, number of different names and it's not new, but just taking the time to ask questions, to listen and to really hone in on the goals of the buyer and do that without the bias, if you can, without the bias of uh, feeling like your solution is the answer to all their troubles. Got it. And, and Jack, let me, let me ask you this. because If it's okay, what I'd like to do is I want to paint a scenario that a lot of salespeople face and then give you a potential response to that. And then you can tell me from, from a procurement standpoint what's going through your mind in that scenario. Does that work? Sounds fun. Let's go. Okay. So my thought is this, is that oftentimes someone will say, oh, well, procurement pushed back and said that we were 15% more expensive than the other vendor, which is something that's not uncommon for a vendor to hear is someone in procurement saying, yeah, you guys are just way more expensive. And oftentimes what I counsel people with is, look, if you know that you've got some extra things built into your solution to ensure success – then what you can say to procurement is, look, the only way we could bring the price down to that level is if we took out these two components, which we feel would jeopardize the success of this 
and would reduce the chance of you getting the results that you need. Can we scale back some of these results so that we can get to the lower price? Because otherwise, if these are the results we need to have, I'm concerned that if we cut corners somewhere, we're not going to get those results. What do you think we should do? So if you're procurement, what goes through your head in that type of discussion? Well, I, I think that's a great way to, to come back and, and, and talk to procurement if that's all the information they, they give you. In other words, if they just say, hey, you're too high. Um, now, what, what I would counsel from the procurement side is you don't just go back to a vendor and say you're too high. You say, well, look, you're, you're, you know, you're not competitive. And, um, and then we ask the vendor some questions. We say, well, well, what are your assumptions about our environment? Because no matter where we are in, in you know, the conversation, the RFP process, whatever it is, we never have perfect information back and forth, right? So uh, if you're giving me a, a, a quote, Ian, it's, there's some assumptions behind that. You're sure. assuming something about my environment, about how much work, about how much service you're going to take. And that sort of thing. So, but that kind of gets to the same conversation that, that you were asking about. You were saying, hey, w- what is your environment like? Uh, what are the goals that you're after? Because as we understand it, we have to provide this service uh, the way you know we've got it designed here in order for you to get those goals. But uh, let's talk about those goals some more. And, and that's a great. So, so what that does, you know, that that pivots the conversation back from the seller to the buyer. Right, because you, you don't want you don't want to get in a conversation where you're saying as the seller, well, look, we have to charge this much because we've got these great people, we've got these great tools, and we approach things this way. I mean, I mean, that doesn't really matter. What matters a lot is the buyer's goals and what the buyer cares about. So, so let's go back to that. Uh, and I think the way you phrased it is very good. And say, okay, yeah, maybe there's something we can do on the solution, but but we understand your goals to be this, and your challenges to be this. Can we have a conversation better to find that? Because if we can. Then, then maybe we can get to your goals with with a more lean solution. Um, but what that also opens up, Ian, you know, maybe there's ways you can serve that organization even more. Yep. When when you're talking about meeting strategic goals and, you, and you're having that conversation in a real way, there's a lot of opportunity there for a salesperson. Yeah, it's it's interesting. One of the one of the things that I'll often talk to people about is I say. Look, so a good question to ask, and I'm looking for your either validation or no, Ian, never give that advice again, and I'm good with either answer, is hmm. is when you're dealing with anybody on the buying side is to say, so let's say that we delivered everything that we've talked about exactly the way you've asked for it. What are the things that might get in the way of your organization achieving results from this solution, even if we do everything that you've asked us to do? And my and my hunch is that what that does, my experience kind of confirms this, is that people then start thinking about, well, if our people don't know how to use it properly, if, we're, if we don't have the discipline, and they start highlighting their own internal risks of execution separate from yours. So first, that piece of it, does that, does that hold water? Yeah, I, I think that's, that's magical because every sort of purchase like that, you're doing it based on some assumptions, some guesses about the future and some beliefs about how, you know, about one, um, what the seller is offering, what that solution is and how it's going to work. But then two, how is your team going to use it, take advantage of it? And I think there's often some hesitation, some concern about we're going to bring this in. But, you know, gosh, that department over there, you know, they're always the ones that want to do things their own way. So if we bring this in, but only 60 percent of the team takes advantage of it, what is that going to mean? And and I think for for you to prompt that conversation as the salesperson, 
um, you know, again, allows the buyer to voice it. Yeah, there's some risk that it'll go to, you know, to a port where we say, boy, we're really not ready for this. But I think it's much more likely that it would lead to a conversation that can help uh, you as a seller assess readiness and then maybe offer more solutions even um, that and, and, you know, whether that's a paid solution or whether it's not or whether you're just saying, hey, you know, one thing that helps us when, when you know, part of the team gets this training over here or or uses our tutorials or uh, or maybe there's a way that we could help you solve this by bringing in some of our team to do this short term project. Exactly. Some might say, well, gee, you've got this piece of equipment that goes into a manufacturing line, but I don't know that our people have the bandwidth. So. If they can't get it installed and, and up and running, then it can't happen. And the vendor could say, well, we actually have resources. Is that something we should build into our bid to provide that extra support? And now you're just responding to a need that's been raised. You're not I, – I always, I always cringe at the term upselling because you shouldn't be upselling anything. You should be thinking about how do I better serve their needs or solve additional problems for the client – so if you want to use the word upsolve or upserve, that's way better than upsell. Hey, I, I think you've got the next titles for your next books, Ian. Upsolving <laughs> and upserving. I, I like them both. <laughs> but but I, but I think that's really true. And and I'll tell you, you know, because there are a couple things that should go through the mind of of a, a veteran procurement leader. And one is. Uh, you know, what's the cost of this, of course? What's the value of this? But then with the value, you've got, well, what's the probability of us really doing this well? And I think if if I can pay a little bit more, you know, another way to say this is what's the risk of this going south, right? Because there's always some risk that a purchase isn't going to work out. And if I can reduce that risk, if I feel like, gosh, maybe there's a 20% risk that, you know, our team is not going to use this as they should. And if I, if I pay a little bit more to you and I can reduce that to like a 4% risk or a 3% risk, well, that's probably money I want to spend. Yeah. Um, so so I, I, I love uh, having that conversation uh, about what could go wrong uh, beyond this. Or, you know, if we sell this to you and, and uh, what are some of the internal factors that, that could uh, lead to your success? Those are great conversations to have before you sign the dotted line. So, so the last question, Jack, I have for you on this is one. And, and it's something that I coach people to um, to bring up. And I'm just curious your thought on the receiving end on the procurement side, which is what I encourage people to ask is, look, let's say we implemented everything. What can we measure together so that six months from now we can hold each other accountable and feel confident that we got the results we were looking for? Because I'd hate to come to you in a high five, you know, for a high five, and you don't think we're high five worthy. So what can we measure together so that we both feel confident that we can be held accountable to delivering those results. So, Ian, Ian if it's a team that I've trained, you won't have to ask that question because they'll have their metrics and they'll know their uh, how they measure <laughs> success for the purchase <laughs> um, because that's critical. But, but uh, a lot of times buyers don't do that. We, we know that. And so uh, to come together uh, with uh, some numbers that you can track, something that's very uh, definitive – uh, and and concrete, I think, is brilliant. And um, and again, it, it's just a way that we can come back and then celebrate once. Hey, we, we've we've got a win here, right? We sold you something; it, it did what we thought it would do, and um, and, and you're happy because you've got a purchase that really delivered the value that you wanted. And and here's how we know because we've got these uh, these numbers, these specific things that have happened that we said would happen. Excellent. Hey, Jack, what's the aside from? At samesideselling.com, what's the best way 
for people to reach out, get in touch with you, and learn more about what you're doing? They can find me at jackquarles.com, and they can uh, send, send me a letter at uh, jack at jackquarles.com. I, I said letter, but I guess email is probably what, what, what people say these days. <laughs> but listen, if anyone wants to, feel free to type out a letter, write it out, scan it in, and send it to Jack at that email address, and he'll love, he'll love receiving it. He's kind of old school. It's kind of like acapella before it was cool. <laughs> Bring it all back, Ian. Good tie back. All right. Great talking to you, Jack. Thanks. Thanks so much. Jack offers such great insight and be on the lookout for the second edition of Same Side Selling. And if you happen to buy a copy of Same Side Selling in November or December 2018, drop me a note and I will send you a copy of the second edition. Absolutely no charge. Here are the key takeaways that Jack shared that I think you can use and apply to your business right away. First, Forget about the notion that procurement is just focused on price. In fact, they're usually focused more on long-term value. The second thing, remember, disruption is the key for them. So wherever possible, try and think about how you can disrupt a current process or help them deliver innovation. And finally, remember that purchasing and procurement people have their own aspirations and the things that you can do to minimize risk and maximize their success benefit everybody. Remember, this show gets its direction from you, the listener. If there's a topic you think I should cover or a guest I should have on the program, drop me a note to ian at ianaltman.com. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everybody can embrace, especially your customer.